0: Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to the audio ministry of Christ Church of Livingston County. The following are three excerpts from a Covenant Renewal worship service led by Pastor Dirk DeWinkle, teaching elder at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording.
1: This Lord's Day in the church calendar is Pentecost Sunday. The day in which we celebrate both the giving of God's law and the sending of his Holy Spirit. The text, therefore, for our call to confession today is the account of Moses and the Israelites receiving the law from God at Mount Sinai. So I'll be reading from Exodus 19, verse 16, to chapter 20, verse 20. Hear the word of the Lord. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain, And the sound of the trumpet was very loud, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to gaze at the Lord, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. But Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you warned us, saying, Set bounds around the mountain and consecrate it. Then the Lord said to him, Away, get down and then come up, you and Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and spoke to them. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself the carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, You speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you and that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. Scripture states that the law of God, serves as a tutor to bring us to Christ. We are brought to Christ because in the law we see our need for him. We see that we are guilty of breaking God's law, that we are sinful and in need of the forgiveness that is given through Jesus Christ. Let us then go to him now and confess our sins. Please kneel with me as we confess our sins to God.
2: Eight verses twenty-two through twenty-eight, and it opens with verse twenty-two. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. The gospel of Jesus Christ is an all-encompassing message. The whole. Creation groans and labors with birth pains. The gospel of Jesus Christ is universal. Jesus came to save the world. God the Father sent him, and Jesus has done exactly as his Father willed that he should do. He came, he bore our iniquities, he suffered the consequences of our sin and he died to reconcile the world to God and when God the Father sent Jesus into the world when he sent his son Jesus was a light in the darkness is what John tells us and Christ's people his disciples are drawn to him they're drawn to his flame the light They, they come To see. Similarly, Jesus tells us that his sheep hear his voice. We are pulled in to the love of God manifested at Christmas in the incarnation when God sent his son into the world. God is with us. Emmanuel, we are close to him. He's here. He cares. And Jesus came to bring a message to us of hope of life and of power into this dark and despairing world. Because this world has been subjected to futility and death ever since Adam and Eve broke God's commandment and brought the consequences of sin into the world in the Garden of Eden. But God didn't give up when Adam and Eve sinned. Our God is the God of life. He created the whole world through his word and spirit. Jesus is the foundation of life. God spoke and it was created. And the spirit is the guarantee of life. The spirit hovered over the void. It was through the power of the spirit that life teemed on the earth in the first place which we recited in our litany this morning from Psalm 104. And it is through the power of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that God is recreating the world in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus Christ and the Father. He is here for us. God has sent him to us because Jesus said as we just read, that it was better for us to have the Spirit than to have Jesus Himself in the flesh. That's what he said. It's better for me to go away so that I can send you the Holy Spirit. We, in the Spirit, become one with Christ. We are His hands. We are His feet, establishing and proclaiming the kingdom of heaven. But before the kingdom could be proclaimed, Jesus told us to wait. He says, Wait. Wait in Jerusalem for the power from on high. And that is what we celebrate today at Pentecost. Today we embrace, we rejoice over, and we remember God's sending of His Holy Spirit to the apostles in the upper room in Jerusalem. Jesus died, He was buried. He came forth from the tomb at Easter and 50 days later at Pentecost, 10 days after Jesus floated into the sky and was coronated in heaven, which we celebrated last week, today we celebrate the birth of the church. We men are now brought into the work that Jesus is doing through the spirit. So Pentecost is obviously all about the spirit, the spirit of God and his work in the world. Now, this is hard to define. What is the spirit's work in the world? And it's hard to define because Jesus tells us that the spirit is like the wind. We know that it's there. We can see what it does, but we can't see it is the spirit's like that you can't see it but you can see that it is is having an effect in the world <clears throat> as we delve into our text this morning we shall see that, that there are themes in the spirit's work the themes of pentecost first fruits adoption hope and security those are the themes of pentecost Our text this morning is Romans 8, 22 through 28, and and it falls in the context of the chapter, Romans 8. The whole chapter is an exposition of the way that salvation works. It opens with a declaration of freedom from the condemnation of the law. In Romans chapter 7, Paul ends up with, woe is me, I'm undone. I, I, I can't keep the law on my own power. Chapter 8 starts with, There is therefore now no condemnation for the saints of God. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So it opens with this declaration of freedom from the condemnation of the law, because in Christ we live by the Spirit, not by the flesh. Faith in Christ and the power of the Spirit are God's divine answer to the problem of sin. Because we have faith, because we believe that the God of heaven sent his own Son to perfectly fulfill the law, and he died and bore our penalties, God freely gives to us pardon from our sin. Because we believe that faith in Christ gives us pardon. And the the Holy Spirit then gives us power to keep His commandments. It is by the Holy Spirit that we are given the gift of faith. It is by the Holy Spirit that in faith we can now do what He's telling us to do. So faith in Christ and the power of the Spirit of God are God's answer to the problem of sin. Verses 5-11 through give us... A contrast of chapter 8. Verses 5 to 11, they contrast the life of the flesh with the life of the spirit. So again, remember what I said? It's hard to define the work of the spirit. What's Paul do? He says, well, look at the fruit. Look at the difference between this is what the life of the flesh is. This is what the life of the spirit is. That's how you tell if the spirit is working there. In verses 12 through 21, Paul speaks of the adoption of believers, and he gives them a glorious promise of glory as they enter into God's work. So as believers, through the power of the Spirit, we are called now to live as Christians. And living as as Christians is effective in, in spreading the kingdom, and it brings glory to God's people. And actually, this is our text for next week. Is verses 12, uh, or I think it's uh, verses 22 through 27. I'm sorry, that's this week. Next week it's 12 through 17. Um, But the reason we're studying this this week is because this section that we're on today talks about how the Spirit works. Verses 22 through 27. And then we're going back to the next passage, the, the previous passage next week, because there he's talking about what that means for us the glorious promises that we have of glory because next week is trinity sunday it's the beginning of the the rest of the church year and it's all about how god is inviting us to enter into his work but more about that next week our text today speaks of god's methods the working of the holy spirit together with us that's what pentecost is about when God comes and sends his spirit to you and to me, he invites us into his work. And we start with the first fruits of the spirit. Verses 22 and 23. Because the create, uh, sorry, for we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. So there's a correlation between Pentecost and the law, as Cameron mentioned earlier today. There's a correlation between Pentecost and the giving of the law of God. And that's why we read the giving of the law this morning. Moses gave the law at the holy mountain Sinai at Pentecost God wrote the law down on tablets of stone and gave it to his people Now, in the new covenant Pentecost Jesus the new Moses the 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 antitype of Moses gives us the law on the new holy mountain the heavenly Jerusalem and he also wrote it on tablets the tablets Of our hearts as prophesied in Jeremiah 31 but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days says the Lord I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts for I will be their God and they shall be my people now you might be wondering how we got here talking about the law from our text a creation is groaning and laboring in birth pains because of the breaking of God's law. It's because God, when He created the world, He designed the entire universe to be in conformity with His will. Paul tells us that the law was given as a tutor to reveal what righteousness is. The Jews misinterpreted it. They thought they could achieve righteousness by fleshly means. And Paul roundly defeats that opinion in multiple places throughout the epistles. But the law was necessary for us to know what sin is so that we might know that we have a need for a savior. In essence, the law gives us a target to aim at. Now, many of our youth In our congregation have been involved in archery and if you think about it what good would it be to shoot arrows if you don't have a target if you don't have anything to aim at how would you ever know if you were doing any good you wouldn't it would be pointless and dangerous you don't know what you're doing So God graciously gives us the law and provides for us the definition of what righteousness is. He tells us, this is the target. This is what righteousness is. This is what you need to aim for. Now, the problem, if we're going to stick with our metaphor, is once he gives us this target, which is 100 miles away and the size of a needlehead, Then he tells us, good luck, because you're shooting with a broken bow. You have a bro. you can't do it. You can't do it until Jesus mends the bow. And Jesus guides your arm. And Jesus gives you strength. And Jesus sets the sights. You can't do it. Jesus does mend the bow he puts a a new heart in us a heart of flesh he gives us a new heart of flesh through word and sacrament by means of faith and by the power of his spirit creation groans because it is designed to have the successful living out of the gospel in it and because we have been given the law in our hearts now Because we have the first fruits of the Spirit. We know what we're yearning for. We ourselves yearn and groan for the accomplishment of God's will in us as it was done in Jesus Christ. We want to see His work in our lives. and we have the first fruits. The Spirit's already doing it in us. And because it's already doing it in us, we are just filled with a deeper and stronger yearning to go further up and further in, to bring it all back to Jesus. It's all for Him, it's all from Him, and it's all to Him. Glory be to Him. And so we're filled with this anticipation for the adoption of God. Verse 23. Not only that... But we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. When God gave the people of Israel the law, he gave them a covenantal charter. He put his name on them. He gave them adoption papers. He said, you are my people. I will be your God. The law defines who belongs to God. The law defines who is God's people. And the spirit is exactly the same. When God writes the law on our hearts. When Peter comes to Cornelius and he sees the Spirit filling the Gentiles, he says, how can we withhold baptism? They have the law. They are the people of God. They need the mark of that covenant. There are two key differences between the old covenant adoption and the gospel of Jesus Christ. First, there's a difference of effectiveness. Effectiveness. The law could not save. The law could not save. But Jesus came. Those who were saved in the Old Covenant were saved by an anticipation for the work of Jesus, by faith in what God would do in the future. They were saved through types and through shadows, through the sacrificial system, through regulations and the spilling of blood. But nevertheless, the grace of God showed through even there. But we have the revelation of the mysteries of God in Jesus Christ and in his spirit. And in his word, the Bible. We see God adopting us directly. You and me. He gives us His name in its full Trinitarian majesty. I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen. God has made us His people with the full knowledge of His method of salvation. The second difference between The Old Covenant adoption in the Gospel of of Jesus Christ is just as dramatic. It's a difference in scale. In the Old Covenant, God saved one family, the family of Abraham. The family of Jacob. The family that became a nation, one nation in the world, the nation of Israel. Whose scriptures regularly proclaim that only a remnant will be saved only a remnant will be saved. Now even though there is an anticipation for future universal accomplishment throughout of God's saving of the nations through Abraham, blessing of the nations, nevertheless the stories of Israel, the stories of the Old Testament, bear out this remnant is going to be saved. In the end, only a remnant returned from the exile to Babylon. But in the new covenant, the adoption that God gives goes out to the ends of the earth. God opens the floodgates when the gospels proclaim to the Gentiles. At the ascension, Jesus' marching orders to his disciples as he was going up into heaven we to bear witness of him in Jerusalem and then into Judea and then into Samaria and then into the ends of the earth. And the book of Acts displays the progression. Paul tells us in no uncertain terms that Jesus shall reign till all his enemies are put under his feet. Till all his enemies have been subjected to him. Until every knee shall bow. Until every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. This is what we yearn for. God's adoption of the world. This is what we groan about. We eagerly wait for it. But our waiting is in the hope of the Spirit. Verse 24 and 25. For we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. So anticipation for redemption is followed by anticipation for completion. We yearn and we groan for the adoption, the resurrection of our bodies, the redemption of our bodies. But that immediately comes and is followed by a a yearning and a groaning for the completion of God's redemption of the world. It's an ongoing hope. And because we live in a broken and a fallen world, hope is necessary. That's why he says hope that is seen is not hope. If the world was a perfect place, we wouldn't have hope. We would have hope what we're hoping for. But it's not a perfect place. God's working in the midst of the mess. The work of the Holy Spirit is a work in a fallen world. It's not seen. We don't see Him. We see the effect of what He does. But We don't see... It's, it's not obvious. But we hope. And we hope because we know that we belong to our God. We confess that Jesus has accomplished the redemption of our souls and the whole world. We have the power of the Spirit within us. He is active in our lives. Even though we can't see him, we can see his effects. Especially through prayer. Verses 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. In these two verses, we are promised that our prayers will be effective. Because the Holy Spirit is sanctifying our prayers. He's sanctifying us. And because we are sanctified, our prayers are sanctified. The Holy Spirit works in us. And he translates what we can't even put into words. He translates our guttural anguish and frustration into Trinitarian eloquence. We look at the world... And because we're broken, we can't even put it into words. The Spirit can. The Spirit is one with us. And He communicates what we are feeling to our God perfectly. Absolutely perfectly. God knew that we couldn't help ourselves. The text says, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. God knows that. He knows that we don't know what we're doing. So he steps in. He gets involved and he helps us. His spirit then makes our faith personal. He sees and takes our pain from us and turns it into holy petition. He takes our meager praise and perfects it into holy, glorious praise. And we know that God in heaven hears and answers our prayers because the spirit working in us is his spirit. He's one with us, the spirit is. And because he's one with us, we are one with God. He converts our prayers to intercession that is in accordance with his will. Is what our text says. He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. The end result of this is unassailable peace and security for you and for me. A peace that cannot be touched because we have the the security, the guarantee, the surety of the Holy Spirit. Verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. This is the answer. This is peace. This is the answer to the frustration and the pain and the suffering in our world. We know that God's doing good in it, nevertheless. God saves us. God came down to us. He gives himself to us. He forgave us for our sins in Jesus Christ. And he gives us his spirit so that we can now move forward in faith, accomplishing his will, And the chapter closes with a hymn of praise, because where else can you go from here? Seriously, where else can you go? In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For we are persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So as we go out here, from here, as the apostles did on Pentecost Sunday, let us praise God and declare his wondrous works. Let us exult in the freedom and boldness that Jesus gives us in His Spirit. Let us sing and worship and preach from the rooftops that Jesus is Lord and King of Kings and that God is, in Jesus Christ, making peace with the world. Let us confess our sin and let us turn in faith to God. Let us love God and let us love each other as Jesus commanded us to do. Let us live in peace and justice and righteousness. Let us pray. Pray that God will break the cycles of sin and wickedness around us. Let us groan and let our souls burn for the life that God has meant for us. That all men, each of us, and every one of us, and everyone around the world may bow the knee and confess that Jesus Christ is King and Lord. And finally, let us embrace the goodness of God that he works all things together for good for us. There is no condemnation, and there is no fear in Christ. Praise God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, let's pray. Sunday we come to this meal filled with the hope and the anticipation of the body of Christ the spirit works in our hearts and souls Jesus is turning you and me into a new creation we are being knit together into one body we are being remade and renewed and we partake in faith knowing that these promises are ours in Christ, secured with the guarantee of the Holy Spirit. As we come to the Lord's Supper, we come on the basis of our baptism, the name of the Trinitarian God, and on the basis of our union with Jesus Christ and His body, the Church, through the Spirit. Our eating and drinking of the sacrament is both a confession of sin and a declaration of faith, That we are saved in no other way than by the mercy of God as exclusively given to us in Jesus Christ. So take, eat, drink, and believe because His death is your hope. His sacrifice is your cleansing. His reign is your glory. And Jesus Christ is your Lord. Christ's body, broken for us. Let us pray.
0: Thank you for listening to these excerpts from the worship service of Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in these messages, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact Pastor Dirk DeWingle through our website, ChristKirkMI.com That's C H R I S T K I R K M I dot Again, thank you and blessings.